In uh, weeks to come, you will, if you don't already know, you will be learning more about how the Church of the Nazarene operates as a new pastor is being found for this congregation. One of the part of the genius in the Church of the Nazarene is this combination or hybrid uh, between the congregational form of, of uh, polity and the Episcopal form of polity. So we have a district superintendent from that Episcopal model who provides uh, oversight and accountability. But we also have the power as a congregation ultimately to make choices about decisions that are important to this congregation. So the district superintendent will be here in weeks to come to uh, first be begin by helping you to work through an evaluation process to help you determine what kind of a pastor you want to have for the next years. I know how this works. Many people will say, I want a pastor like the one that just left. Can you clone him or his predecessor or his predecessor? I want one like Josh. I want one like John. That's the kind of a pastor I want. Some people are undoubtedly thinking, oh, if only the Apostle Paul were available. We'd love to have him. <laughs> and of course, ultimately, the, the super saints among you are saying, why can't we have a pastor like Jesus? Equally important, though, is for the congregation, you, to think about what kind of a congregation you intend to be regardless of who comes as a pastor. So just as a congregation is looking for a pastor like Jesus, so your next pastor, whoever that person may be, is praying for congregation, undoubtedly, that's described in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, if you want to join me there. The end of Acts chapter 2, there's a description of that first Christian congregation in Jerusalem. Beginning with verse 42, Luke describes it like this. He said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then flip over to the end of chapter 4, beginning with verse 32, another description of that first congregation. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need.
you, you, you didn't let that sentence just go in one ear and out the other, did you? From time to time, those who owned land or houses, did I see a hand? Sold them and gave the money to those who were in need. May I offer some thoughts on the congregation that your next pastor is praying for this morning? First, that congregation needs to be faithful. Now, faithful is a big word, right? It has all kinds of shades of meaning. And so faithfulness this morning I am focusing on is the faithfulness, which is a quality of commitment and loyalty to the local expression of the body of Christ known as the New Beginnings Church of the Nazarene. Faithfulness, loyalty and commitment to this body of Christ. That loyalty might look like uh, one of the relationships that many, many of us are familiar with. That's the marriage relationship, faithfulness in marriage. You do remember your marriage vows, right? Here's a little test. For better or for richer, for in and in health, to love and to cherish till according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge you my troth, faith, faith. Marriage is an institution, a relationship, which is used throughout Scripture as a metaphor for the relationship between God and his church. You're familiar with what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He's talking about marriage, husbands and wives, but he said what I'm really talking about is the relationship between Christ and his church. But marriage is also a picture that's used throughout scripture for the relationship between believers, not just husbands and wives, but the kind of faithfulness that believers ought to show to one another. Just as our culture battles against marital faithfulness, trying to be a wedge driven between husbands and wives, so our culture battles against faithfulness in congregations as well. And I would suggest to you this morning that the thing that works most effectively against faithfulness in congregations is the consumer culture of which we are a part. You know what the consumer culture is, right? It's this powerful marketing campaign that's gone on for decades and decades and decades and decades, which trains us to think in terms of what's in it for me. All of the advertising campaigns designed to create in us an appetite for stuff that makes life easier and better and finer. What's in it for me? What can I buy? What can I acquire that will make life better for me? And it comes down ultimately to comparing one thing with another, right? Which electric stand mixer is better? KitchenAid or Sunbeam? Which sewing machine is better? Singer or Faf? Which tool is better? Craftsman or 
Black and Decker. You know, we're, we've got these choices, and we make decisions day after day after day. It's based on price. It's based on popularity. It's based on how great their ads are during the Super Bowl. But it's all part of this consumer culture, which ultimately makes us think in terms of what's in it for me. What would I prefer? So many marriages end when one spouse finds somebody else who's better, newer, younger, easier to get along with, fancier, stronger than their current spouse. Likewise, people shop for churches looking for something that meets their preferences better than another church. The great idol of North American Christianity goes by the word preference. Idols are not good things, right? We're agreed on that. God said, have no idols, no images before me. Well, I would suggest that there is an image, an idol, in North American Christianity, and its name is preference. It's the selfish preoccupation with what we think is better for us and our family, which undermines this covenant commitment that we need to make to faithfulness. I don't know why you chose this congregation a few years ago, a long time ago, decades ago. But the point is that now you have chosen it. You need to be faithful to it no matter what. Marriage begins with a covenant vow, and you remembered it. Congratulations. It didn't start with, well, I can't exactly say. I was going to say it didn't start with an Internet search for the cheapest price, the highest ratings of the most popular brands, although there's a lot of marriages that are starting that way. But marriage was a covenant of faithful commitment that you made. You didn't. Well, some people do shop around. (laughs) Marriage begins with a covenant vow. And our faithfulness to this congregation also begins with a covenant vow, one that is not made just because we prefer something else, something different, something easier, something better. Our relationship with our church should also begin with that kind of a faithful vow, a commitment, a covenant. Now, Congregations are, by definition, diverse, messy hospitals full of sick, wounded, annoying, opinionated people at every stage of spiritual maturity. Can I get an amen? Amen. And one of those things is going to be your next pastor. They won't look like your current or former pastors. They won't talk like it. They won't preach like it, they'll, they'll be different, just as everyone else in this congregation is different. But rather than leaving a congregation because it's not meeting my needs right now, or because it includes people who are different than me, make a commitment to meeting the needs of others and embracing people who are different from you. There's two perspectives recently that I've been thinking about that describe this. Gustavo Crocker, one of our six general superintendents in the Church of the Nazarene, was the presiding general at the recent district assembly. assembly. And he has been doing a lot of thinking and writing recently in light of the pandemic with the way churches or the way Christians become a part of churches. He said, 
the way it's existed for, for decades or, or longer is that we, we, we say that first thing you need to do to be a part of the church is to believe, to believe in Jesus. That, he says, we have come to think is going to lead to behaving better. First you believe, then you learn how to behave, which ultimately results in you belonging. What do you believe comes first? This is the way we've been evangelizing. Believe first, then you behave, and then you belong. But he says we need to get back to what was the original order of those words, which begins with belonging. First, you are embraced by a congregation, regardless of who you are and how you act and how you smell. First, you belong. And then eventually you'll come to believe. And then gradually you'll be behave like Christ. Another way of saying it is described by Scott Peck. He talks about how community begins, relationship begins. He says they begin with pseudo-community, where you, you just kind of learn to get along and talk about new sports and weather, nothing deeper than that. But eventually, he says, you start to discover the annoying idiosyncrasies of the group that you're a part of, of the people that make up your life. And that leads to chaos judging one another and, and telling people that they're not acting right, so on and so forth. And he says, then you need to go through the process of emptying, where you let go of those expectations. You acknowledge the fact that a lot of the kind of things that might annoy you about another person are not moral issues, that just that's the way they are. And if you're going to be a part of community, you're going to have to empty yourself of those preferences and embrace this person, which ultimately leads to genuine community. Or, or let's look back at these churches in the book of Acts for a better picture. These first congregations in Jerusalem and as Christianity spread throughout the Mediterranean world and all of the cities and towns were diverse congregations, weren't they? There were people that were wealthy enough to have homes and land that they could sell. But these congregations also included people who were dirt poor. They were made up of Jews and Gentiles, and we know how different those two worldviews are, right? They were congregations that included both slaves and masters. And yet somehow those people looked over those differences, those division, potentially divisive things, and they were willing to sell their property and possessions and give to those who were in need. That sounds like the epitome of for better or worse, doesn't it? Faithfully giving to others rather than holding on to the best for themselves putting the money at the apostles' feet for distribution to who knows who. I mean, it's one thing if you like somebody well enough and you know they're in need that you sell your stuff and you give the money to them, but it's a different thing just to sell your house and give the money to the church, to lay it at the apostles' feet and let them do with it as they see fit. That's a real commitment to be faithful to a congregation, isn't it? We want to meet needs. We want to embrace people. We want people to belong regardless of whether it's my preference or not. So this morning, I think that your next pastor is praying for a congregation that is faithful.
Amen? But I'm also hoping that they're praying for a congregation that will be available. The mission of every congregation, every Christian church, is to go and make Christ-like disciples, right? We are disciple-makers. Everyone in every congregation needs to be available, by which I mean committed to the mission, no matter how messy it may look. There's no such thing as retirement from the mission of making disciples. There's no such thing as retirement from the mission of making disciples. I know a lot of you are over age 65 or 70, enjoying a retirement full of doctor's appointments. And it creeps into our life, doesn't it? I don't have to get out of bed this morning if I don't want to or if I don't have an appointment to go to. But there is no retirement, no matter what our age, when it comes to our mission to make disciples. Let me break it to you as bluntly as I can this morning. You are not a disciple. You are a disciple maker. Most of you are old enough that the days of being a disciple, a learner, a follower, are long gone. You are now an apostle, one who has been sent to make disciples. Making ourselves available is one of the major difficulties of life these days, though, isn't it? How many times have you invited somebody to come to dinner or to go golfing with you or to do something that uh, you're planning a week or two or three weeks out only to have them say, well, I'll get back to you on that or maybe or let me think about it. Uh, young people have a word or a couple words for, for this inability to make a commitment to be available and to and to make those commitments one of the words is flaking you invite somebody to do something they say yeah and then they flake out they don't show up another word is ghosting they just don't show up the mission of the church is to make disciples before it is anything else are you making yourself available for the mission of making disciples, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable that mission may be? Let's look back at the Church of Acts. What were the wonders and signs that the apostles were performing back there 2,000 years ago? Just call them out. Wonders and signs that the apostles performed. Healing. Talking in tongues. Lepers become clean and they start becoming a part of the community once again. Blind people and lame people are healed. People are provided for in miraculous ways. Those were tremendous signs and wonders. And what was the result of those signs and wonders? God added to their number daily. Thousands of people seeing the power and the love of this early congregation in Jerusalem became believers because of those signs and wonders. 
What are the signs and wonders today that are causing thousands and thousands and thousands of people to become believers? Anybody seen a leper healed recently? No. Maybe a, a few medical miracles, yeah. But I suspect that the greater signs and wonders that we need to be a part of if we're going to see thousands of people come to know Christ is that we need to welcome Republicans and Democrats. Imagine what that would look like. We need to welcome the homeless and undocumented immigrants. We need to welcome LGBTQ people. Building relationships with anyone and everyone who needs to know Jesus. That would be a real sign and wonder, wouldn't it? Let's go back to Gustavo Crocker. He says, remind us, our role is to help people belong. Our role is to embrace people and say, you are welcome in this family. You are welcome in this worship service. You are welcome in this community. He said, that's our job, to love everybody that crosses our path. The behaving, the believing and the behaving stuff, he says, God will take care of that. We need to make sure that people know that they can belong. So your next pastor this morning is praying for a congregation that is faithful to the local church and is available for mission and finally is teachable. I say this at my own risk. You can't teach old dogs new I would suggest, though, that old dogs who aren't learning new tricks are really called dead dogs. And it's not a function of age. Can I get an amen? It's not a function of age. In some, to some degree, we're all old dogs, even Jesse Gillespie. <laughs> we're all old dogs in that we oftentimes refuse to learn anything new, settled so deeply in what we think and what we believe and how we act, so habituated to act certain ways that we just can't become open to the infinite God whom we serve. Our goal, in including making disciples, our goal is to become one with God, right? To become like Jesus. This is a holiness congregation last time I checked. We are to follow an infinite God. God will never run out of things to teach us. You have not graduated yet from what God wants to do in your life. Amen? So if we are following an infinite God, then there's always something new to learn. To be teachable is to recognize that there's always room for growth in spiritual maturity. Yes, God wants to take you deeper in relationship with him than you are right now. That was feeble. 
God wants to take you deeper in biblical understanding. You may have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and a doctor's degree, but, you know, there's more truth to understand. We are all capable of much more than we think we are. So practice a pattern of teachability, which will help you to continue to grow in faithfulness and availability for the rest of your life. Holiness, the entire sanctification in the Church of the Nazarene is not a terminal state. I know there's an awful lot of people that say, okay, I got saved, checked, I got sanctified, checked, now I'm just waiting with my ticket in my pocket to go to heaven. It's not the way it works, brothers and sisters. Maturity is always a constantly moving target. God wants to help you grow up no matter how old you are. And teachability isn't just for the Sunday school classroom, but it's also for mission teams. Imagine how difficult it is to learn how to work collaboratively, collaboratively with others that uh, have those irritating idiosyncrasies. You ever been on a mission trip? Cuba, South Africa, other places? Aren't they annoying after about the fourth day? Oh, people that wake up too early for you and they snore at night and their socks stink, you know. Oh. How to learn how to work collaboratively with other people who do things differently than you. Uh, learning how to live the gospel in ways that make connections with those who need to be Jesus, that need to meet Jesus, even if they're Democrats. There's so much to learn. When we recognize how thoroughly we are shaped and molded by our consumer entertainment action-adventure culture, we should also realize and recognize how thoroughly we need to be reshaped and remolded by the Holy Spirit of God. Looking back at the church in Acts, they not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to the fellowship the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those words just roll off our tongues so easily. But what does it mean to be committed, devoted to fellowship? It means chaos. It means emptying yourself of your expectations and your opinions. What does it mean to break bread? It means to share with other people. It, it, it means to be reminded every time you break bread with brothers and sisters that we are responsible for the death of Christ. And we better not get too big for our britches because we're going to be humbled every day for the rest of our lives. All facets of ministry which have the power to teach and to shape and to mold our lives. That's what we need to be committed to. So your next pastor this morning is praying for a congregation that is faithful to a covenant vow to be the undivided body of Christ. Can you be that kind of a congregation? Your next pastor is praying this morning for a congregation that is available to the messy mission of making disciples. Can you be available? Your next pastor is 
praying for a congregation that is teachable, a lifelong willingness to be led into deeper experiences of Christ-like inclusion and missional usefulness. In other words, your next pastor is praying for a congregation of fat Christians. You noticed that, didn't you? Yeah. Fat Christians. We are confident, I am confident, that God is preparing the right person to become the next pastor of this congregation. Are you confident that God is doing that? Are you also confident that it's probably going to be a person that's not going to meet, meet all of your expectations? I hope so. But if we're faithful, that doesn't matter. And I'm confident that God continues to prepare this congregation for your next pastor. So let's pray for a pastor-congregation match made in heaven, but know full well that such a match will also require hard, hard work on both parts. Let's pray. Think about how faithfully committed to this congregation you are and the kinds of things that have made you think twice about that commitment. Think about how available you are to be involved in the disciple-making mission that God has given you and God is giving this congregation. How available are you? Think about your willingness to be taught, to be stretched, to be challenged, to be led into a deeper understanding of an infinite God. What has been challenging in that regard? Lord, I thank you for three and a half years of ministry with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank you for the way you have stretched me and how you have stretched them. And Lord, I thank you for this congregation of people here in this sanctuary and watching online and the extraordinary potential that exists that resides here in this body of Christ. Lord, there are signs to be made. There are wonders to be worked. So I commission them, Lord, that they would love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that they would love their neighbor Republicans and Democrats, 
regardless of color, sexual orientation, preferences for restaurants. Lord, provide them with the grace to be able to include, to embrace, to love. Lord, we desire to see a day when people will say, look how the New Beginnings Church of the Nazarene brothers and sisters love each other. I want to know why. I want to be a part of that. I want to belong. So, Lord, we covenant with you to be faithful and available and teachable, regardless of what the weeks and months and years ahead bring. Make us your fat people. In Christ's name we pray, and all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.